Please open your Bibles to John chapter 7. Today's study is going to be a little bit longer than usual, but hey, it's the Word of God, so praise God that we can be in His Word today. Last time we left off with verse 20, and we studied how Jesus had again come into Jerusalem. This time he came during the Feast of Tabernacles, and we discussed a little bit last week about what the Feast of Tabernacles is, and we saw how Jesus stood in the midst of the temple and taught the people. The reactions of the people varied. Some of the people said that he was good, and others said that he was a deceiver of people. And I pointed out to you that even for us today, it boils down to those two things. Either he is good, and exactly who the Bible says that he is, or all of us who follow Jesus are completely deceived by him. And each person on the face of of this earth must come to that place where we have decided who Jesus is. Everyone must deal with that question. Is Jesus who the Bible tells us he is, or is he not who the Bible says that he is? But there is one thing for sure. You cannot know who Jesus really is without reading and studying the Bible for yourself. Jesus has been portrayed in this world in many different ways, but the truth is found only in the pages of the Bible. We're going to see a little later in this chapter that people will again be in a position of making up their minds about Jesus. But for now, they are divided over him, and some of them were telling him that he had a demon. He asked them in verse 19 of chapter 7 here why they sought to kill him. But they didn't even know the depths of their own heart, and they denied the fact that they wanted to kill him. You see, Satan works in people's hearts sometimes, and they don't even realize what they are doing. They are hurting others, but they think they are doing God a service. And the Pharisees and the other religious people of that time had created a bunch of rules and regulations that they thought were holy and pleasing to God, but in reality, it was man's ways and not God's ways of doing things. Yes, God gave them the law, and the law was good, but they added a whole lot of other stuff to it. But the reality for you and I today is that we must know the Word of God for ourselves. It must be hidden within our hearts and be put into practice in our lives. Jesus knows the heart, and He knew the heart of these people that were listening to Him teach. They didn't know their own hearts, but He knew them for sure. And after they told Him that He had a demon, Jesus knew that they were still upset with him for healing the paralytic man the last time he had come to town. And Jesus goes on to say to them there in verse 21, Jesus answered and said to them, I did one work, and you all marvel. Moses therefore gave you circumcision, not that it was from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcised a man on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses should not be broken, 
Are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. I like this. Do you know what Jesus is saying here in those verses? These people would perform circumcisions on the Sabbath. They would cause pain, anguish, uh, screaming and crying on the Sabbath. And, and Jesus came along and brought health to a man and joy to his heart. And because of this, they were angry with Jesus. Jesus brought health and joy to the man on the Sabbath, and they brought pain and anguish. But that's the way of man-made religion. It makes no sense at all. But they were set in their ways, and they will destroy anyone that upsets their organization. Look at verse 25. Now some of them from Jerusalem said, Is this not he whom, who seeks, excuse me, is this not he whom they seek to kill? But look, he speaks boldly, and they say nothing to him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is truly the Christ? You see, nothing was going to affect God's will being done through the life of Jesus Christ. He was sent to redeem mankind, and God's purpose was going to be fulfilled with each step Jesus took on this earth. They were not going to be able to harm him until his time had come. So we see here that he is speaking plainly and boldly right in front of them. And you know, do you ever stop to realize this fact in your own life? Do you understand that God is in control? And if God is for us, who can be against us? Hard times will come our way, but we can rest in His arms and know that His will will be done in our lives if we are placing our lives in His hands. I think of Paul the Apostle. He suffered much for the sake of preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. Turn, if you will, in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And once you're there, we're going to read verses 24 through 29. Paul, in verse 24... He's uh, speaking of himself, and he says, From the Jews, five times I received forty stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils amongst false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation? But you know, even with all that Paul suffered, the Lord was always with him. Turn now to Acts chapter 23. 
We're going to look at verse 19, and here we're going to see Paul was in prison, and uh, there was a group of Jews that had a plan to ambush Paul and as they were transporting him from one place to another. And Paul's little nephew overheard them plotting this, and he ran to tell Paul about it. And Paul instructed him to go to the commander with this information. So, looking now at verse 19 here of Acts chapter 23. Then the commander took him by the hand, went aside, and and asked privately, What is it that you have to tell me? And he said, The Jews have agreed to ask that you bring Paul down to the council tomorrow, as though they were going to inquire more fully about him. But do not yield to them, for more than forty of them lie in wait for him, men who have bound themselves by an oath that they will neither eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting for the promise from you. So the commander let the young man depart and commanded him, Tell no one that you have revealed these things to me. And he called for the for two centurions, saying, Prepare two hundred soldiers, seventy horsemen, and two hundred spearmen to go to Caesarea at the third hour of the night and provide mounts to set Paul on and bring him safely to Felix, the governor. So Paul, he's just one man that is walking in the will of the Lord. And there is a plot against him to kill him. But here we see that that through this commander, the Lord provides a total of 470 soldiers to get Paul safely out of the city. If you look back in verse 13, you'll see that there were less than 50 men that were plotting to get Paul, but the Lord provided 470 soldiers. 70 of them were on horses, and 200 of them were carrying spears. But you see, the Lord supersedes the plans of man. He is above all else. And when His will is going to be done in your life, nothing will stop it. Look back at verse 11 of Acts chapter 23 here. It says, uh, but the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. So you see, God had a plan for Paul and 40 some men were not going to interfere in what the Lord was going to accomplish in Paul's life. And the same holds true for you and me today. Most of us will not have a calling like Paul. I will say that no one will ever have a call like Paul the Apostle. Paul was called to suffer. You and I today reap the benefits of Paul's suffering. The gospel is still going forth throughout the whole world. And we sit here today with the word of God on our laps and the knowledge of Jesus Christ in our hearts and minds. But God is working his plan out in our hearts as individuals. We have good times and bad, but through it all, he remains. And whatever trials this life brings, we can know, just as Paul knew, that if God is for us, who can be against us? And back in John chapter 7, 
Jesus is speaking boldly right in front of those that are out to get him. God's plan is being fulfilled in the life of Jesus and mankind will not interfere with that plan. So these people that are at the Feast of Tabernacles are still perplexed by Jesus. And they say in verse 27 of John chapter 7, they say, However, we know where this man is from. But when the Christ comes, no one knows where he is from. So what they are doing here is using their, using their own uh, deductive reasoning. They are saying he can't be the Messiah. Because we know where he's from. But you know, the fact of the matter is that the place where uh, Jesus came from, no one knows. Because in his divine nature, he was born from above. But the scriptures do tell us of the place of his physical birth. Turn in your Bibles to Micah chapter 5. Micah is in the Old Testament. It's toward the end of the Old Testament, right after the book of Jonah and right before the book of Nahum. We're going to look at Micah chapter 5. And let's look at verse 2. It says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrath, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, Yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. Wow. So we know where Jesus came from physically. He was born in Bethlehem. But spiritually, his going forths are from old, and he is from everlasting. That's the truth about Jesus. And flipping back to John chapter 7, these people had made this statement about Jesus saying, we know where this man is from, but when the Christ comes, no one knows where he is from. Well, that was partially true and partially untrue. What they didn't know was his divine nature. They didn't know that he was the Word made flesh. Yeah, they knew his mother and brothers and sisters, and they knew he grew up in Nazareth, but they didn't really know him. And for people on the earth today, knowing about Jesus is simply not enough. We must know him intimately. If these people would have taken the time to get to know Jesus, they could have found out that he was born in Bethlehem, and then it would have made more sense to them as to who he really was. And if we, you and I, would spend more time in the Word of God, it will become clearer and clearer to us as to whom he is. And with these Jews... This was a sad situation, but John 1, or excuse me, John chapter 1 verse 11 says, He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. They should have been glad to receive him. They should have been thankful that their nation was honored with his appearance, but they didn't care. All they cared about was their religion. They only wanted to know the Messiah if he fell in line with their ways of doing things. Be careful not to do that with Jesus. 
Study the Word of God and know who He really is. So now, Jesus is about to raise His voice here and become very emphatic in His speech. He goes on to say, in verse 28, Then Jesus cried out as he taught in the temple, saying, You both know me, and you know where I am from. And I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. Now, this was a serious accusation here for Jesus to make. To say that an Orthodox Jew did not know God was a huge slap in the face to them. They prided themselves on their knowledge of the true God, the God of Israel. And Jesus even took it one step further, and he said to them in verse 29, But I know him, for I am from him, and he sent me. So here Jesus is stating that he is not like everyone else. He is saying that he didn't come into the world like every other human being. He came in the flesh, but he came from God. That means he existed before he was born on the earth. You see that? And these people did not like what he was saying, and they want to attack him. And verse 30 says, Therefore they sought to take him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. It wasn't God's timing, you see. So there was nothing they could do to him. Look at verse 31. And many of the people believed in him and said, When the Christ comes, will he do more signs than these which this man has done? So you see, even in the midst of Jesus' ministry being questioned, the lives of people were still being impacted. God has a plan in all things. These people that believed in Jesus knew that these were great things that Jesus was doing. He was performing many signs and wonders, and these signs and wonders were causing some of the people to see that he indeed was the Messiah. And remember, John 21, 25 says that if all the works that Jesus did were written down, that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. That's incredible to think about, isn't it? But that's our Lord. He's far more than we can ever fathom. And many people were seeing the works and believing in Jesus here. And this was upsetting the religious folk. Verse 32, the Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring these things concerning him, and the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. Then Jesus said to them, I shall be with you a little while longer, and then I go to him who sent me. Now, it's pretty cool to me when you read that verse. Because here comes the officers to take and arrest Jesus, but he simply stops them in their tracks and says, I've still got work to do. In essence, he's saying, you're not taking me yet. I'll be done soon, and and then I'm going back to the Father, but it's not my time to go away yet. He then goes on to say in verse 34, you will seek me and not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. Now that's pretty serious too, isn't, isn't it? Jesus is stating here that he's going back to the Father in heaven, and these people that are out to get him aren't going to end up there. But once again, they're going to completely misunderstand Jesus. And they go on in verse 35, Then the Jews said among themselves, Where does he intend to go that we shall not find him? 
Does he intend to go to the dispersion amongst the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What is this thing that he said, you will seek me and not find me, and where I am you cannot come? So you see, these religious people had no concept of how to truly get to heaven. Jesus will later go on to tell them in John chapter 14 that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that it's only by him that they will see the kingdom of God. And you know, 2,000 plus years later, as we sit here today, nothing has changed. Jesus is the only way. Verse 37, on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Do you remember we discussed last time how during the Feast of Tabernacles, the priest would daily bring out a pitcher of water from the pool of Siloam? They would pour this pitcher of water out to remind them of how God miraculously provided for the children of Israel from the rock when they were thirsty during the wilderness years. Well, on the last day of the feast, referred to here as the great day, the priest, what they would do is they'd bring out empty pitchers, which symbolized their need for someone to satisfy the thirst of their hearts. They knew they were empty without the Messiah. And that holds true today as well. We are empty without Jesus. Well, anyway, it was at that time right when they would bring those pictures out, that Jesus cried out and said, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. You see the symbolism there? He was the answer that they had been looking for. The one that would satisfy their thirst was right in front of them. Jesus, the Messiah. But what was Jesus talking about, though, when he said there, he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Well, the answer to that is found right there in verse 39. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now notice something here about the work of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit not only comes in, but he also goes out. You see, when Jesus says here in verse 38 that those that believe in him have rivers of living water flowing out of their hearts, he is saying that the Holy Spirit will be evident in the life of a believer. You know, if we walk around powerless, miserable, and grumpy, always backbiting and complaining, if we're not seeing the moving of the Holy Spirit in our lives, it may be evidence that we are smothering or quenching the work of the Holy Spirit within us. The disciples of Jesus' day had him right alongside of them, and Jesus was always correcting and guiding them. But as soon as Jesus left the earth, he sent the Holy Spirit to come upon those that would follow him. 
At the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus was obviously still on the earth, so the Holy Spirit had not yet been sent. In Acts chapter 2, a group of 120 believers were all gathered in one place, and then Jesus sent the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit came upon those believers. Now, let's just talk about the work of the Holy Spirit for a little bit here. Verse 39 here tells us that the Holy Spirit was not yet given, okay? So we know from that scripture alone that the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon believers in Jesus. The Bible speaks of three different actions, if you will, of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit will be with you, in you, and come upon you. Okay, let's turn up a few chapters from where we are here to John chapter 14. In verse 16 and 17 of John chapter 14, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says to them, And I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Okay? So right there we see Jesus telling believers that the Holy Spirit dwells with them. And he also tells them that the Holy Spirit will be, that's future tense, will be, in them. But the fact that the Holy Spirit is with a person is what draws a person to come to that place in their lives where they are born again. You see, Romans chapter 3, you don't need to turn there, but it says there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. And that tells us that a person cannot come to God on their own. Do you see that? If none of us were, are seeking God, then what was it or what is it that draws someone to God? It's the Holy Spirit that is with us. You see, God will use the Holy Spirit through someone or something that happens in your life and, and the Holy Spirit will speak into your life the truth about Jesus. And the Holy Spirit was working within you when you came to Jesus. Or excuse me, working. He was, he was with you. He was alongside of you, wooing you to come to Jesus. He was working within your, you know, trying to, to eat away at your heart, to get your eyes to open up to see that you need a Savior. You need to repent. And Jesus said that, that that is what the Holy Spirit would do when he came. Go ahead and turn up one chapter to chapter 15. And uh, let's look at uh, verse 26 of John chapter 15. Jesus says here, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. So you see, that's the work of the Holy Spirit to testify of Jesus. All over the world today, the Holy Spirit is at work testifying 
of Jesus. And to some of you listening, there's that testimony going into your heart right now from, from what the Word of God is doing within you as we go through it. And John chapter 1, verse 13 says that it is by the will of God that we are born again and not by the will of man. So you see, it's the Holy Spirit that is at work in the lives of people today, drawing them to Jesus Christ. Now, once a person makes a decision to repent and open their heart to Jesus, the Holy Spirit then comes in them. Okay, turn to John chapter 20 and we'll see this. John chapter 20, and we're going to look at verses 19, 19 through 23. And just to kind of set the scene quickly here, Jesus has been crucified. He was dead. He was buried. His disciples took off and they're hiding in fear because they don't know what to do now. Jesus is dead. And then verse 19 says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. So, remember, prior to this moment right here, the Holy Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Now. Jesus is in his risen body, and the Spirit of God is, of course, in him because the Spirit of God descended upon him back in Matthew chapter 3 when John baptized Jesus. But now Jesus breathes the Holy Spirit into those that are followers of him. Okay? Keep all this in mind. Now turn to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, to the right of where we are, just a few pages up, we're going to read verses 1 through 9 here, okay? So Acts chapter 1, verse 1. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power 
when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. Okay, so the Holy Spirit is with us on this earth testifying of Jesus and drawing people to Jesus. When a person comes to repentance and they place their faith in Jesus Christ, they become a follower or a disciple of his, the Holy Spirit comes in them. But then there is a time when the Holy Spirit comes upon us and we have the power to now be witnesses for Jesus Christ to others around us. There's a whole lot more we could discuss on this topic, but we'll do that some other time. But it's not a very complicated thing. It's not something that we figure out or strive to achieve. It's something that the Holy Spirit in His own timing works out within each one of us as we grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But back now in John chapter 7, Jesus was speaking to them in regards to the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 40 of John chapter 7, it says, Therefore, many from the crowd, when they heard these sayings, said, Truly, this is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Will the Christ come out of Galilee? So you see, there's still a little confusion about who Jesus really is. And they say here in verse 42, Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem where David was? So there was a division amongst the people because of him. So we read earlier, that the prophet Micah said that, that he would come out of Bethlehem, and these people know that fact, so why didn't they take the time to get to know more about Jesus and ask him where he was born? But you know, today, many people, like I said earlier, have formed their opinions about Jesus without taking time to read the Word of God and really get to know the facts. Verse 44. Now some of them wanted to, to take him, but no one laid hands on him. Then the officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees, who said to them, Why have you not brought him? The officers answered, No man has ever spoke like this man. So these men that were sent to go and capture Jesus were themselves captivated by Jesus. His spoken word cut people to the heart. And you know, through his word, he still does the same thing today. No man ever spoke like this man. You see, once Jesus speaks into your heart, you will never be the same. 24 years ago, 1986, on a hot summer day here in Arizona, in my apartment complex, I picked up the Word of God and I read it. 
and I fell to my knees afterwards, and I received Jesus Christ into my heart. And I stood up that day in 1986 and knew that I was born again, and that my life would never be the same. Now, 24 years later, I'm still following Jesus. Because, like Peter said, where else can I go? Jesus has the words of life. There's nowhere else to go. And I would never turn back to this world. But you know, here in verse 47, it says, Then the Pharisees answered them, Are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. So you see, so you see here, these Pharisees are ridiculing these men that have heard Jesus speak. And uh, they're applying there in verse 48 that, or excuse me, implying there in verse 48 that if your leaders don't agree with Jesus, then you shouldn't either. That's the way of religion. They want you to follow the man-appointed leader. And they don't want you to hear the word of God for yourself. Look at verse 50. Nicodemus, he who came to Jesus by night, being one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? They answered and said to him, are you also from Galilee? Search and look, for no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. And everyone went to his own house. So, you remember Nicodemus? We studied in uh, John chapter 3 how he came to Jesus at night. And, uh, and it seems here that the heart of Nicodemus was touched by that encounter with Jesus because here he stands up in defense of Jesus and he says, hey, you need to hear him out. The guys that went to capture Jesus were impacted by hearing Jesus and so was Nicodemus. But the heart of these religious people was hardened by their religion and they refused to hear him. So verse 53 there says that everyone went to his own house. And you know, I don't know where you are, where, where you're listening right now, but I want to challenge you that before you go back to your own house, before you maybe go to bed tonight, I want to challenge you to, go, to grow deeper in your knowledge of who Jesus really is. Don't just listen to a man. Don't just listen to somebody that stands in front of you and, and what their opinion is. Read the word of God for yourself. And any good pastor is going to tell you that, is going to encourage you to do that. You've heard me say it before, but you need to be like the Bereans of Acts chapter 17, who were considered noble because they took what they heard from Paul or anybody that came to town preaching it and they went back to the scripture to find out if it was true. Well, today we've opened our Bible and we've, we've gone through it, right? But you need to know God for yourself in a deep and an intimate way. And you need to hear from him. Have you had the Holy Spirit come upon you? 
Are you a witness for Jesus Christ? That's, that's what would be evident of that. Is your life something that, that others look at and say, wow, I see Jesus all over him or all over her. I really want to challenge you in that and encourage you to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God bless, guys. Thanks for listening.